quick summary of this time. I'll make it brief. I'm going to talk about rep tempo for producing the best stimulus for muscle growth. Basically, the right kind of control, not too fast, not too slow on the way up, and control on the eccentric is very important to take advantage of the fact that you get more force production relative to the muscle that you use. So if you want to know the hows and whys of that, stay tuned. It's coming next. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Muscle Minds with Scott Stevenson. I'm Scott McNally. All of our programming is brought to you by truenutrition.com. And if you use our code THINK, you'll help to support our programming. We've got kind of like a special little thing here today, a bonus, a bonus Muscle Minds. Uh, how, how should we title this, Scott? It's like the, the art of performing reps, the, how, what, the, the, the optimal, optimal speed on your concentrics. What, what would, it, 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 I don't even know exactly what your question is. So well, okay, then I'll ask you my question. About, <laughs> yeah. how, about, how about we start so there? You. How about we that's start cool. there? So I had this. <laughs> this has been a burning question for me. I, I have a list, Scott, a whole list of questions here on my phone for you, okay. uh, and we okay. haven't gotten to get to them in a long time. This list has been building since February. Uh, this is when uh, my good friend and client Andrea Watson was out here. We were training, and um, I wanted to express to her uh, getting a little bit more aggressive with her concentric. Uh, there was a time in the past that all of my concentrics were very slow, and it was brought to my attention by Shelby Starnes. He was like, hey, man, try getting a little more aggressive with that. And when I did, I recognized I got a lot more out of it. I mean, you got to be controlled. You know, you've got to be controlled with your concentric. But I noticed that, like, I feel like I dig deeper into those fibers. I think about the way that I pull. If I pull with some force yet control, I get a lot more out of it than just doing like this slow, smooth contraction. And so I wanted mm -hmm. to ask you, what's the science on that? You just, <laughs> Scott, you know the science. You're, you're the I'm, bro, but you're also the scientist right. and you're the bro scientist. I'm, I'm pulling up this presentation um, that I did uh, that I might use as kind of a cheat sheet. I have a whole talk See? called Quest for the Perfect Rep. See? This um, is exactly what I'm yeah. talking about right here. <laughs> and, and literally, I mean, it's <clears throat> I don't know how many slides I have in this thing. I haven't given it for a while. I love this presentation, though. Okay. Um, so uh, there is a, I guess I could, the first thing that pops in my head, because I'm just kind of doing this off the top of my head, is there is a, a meta analysis that was done, Brad Schoenfeld. No surprise there on rep tempo. It didn't seem to show any difference in muscle growth when rep tempo was like, I think both concentric and eccentric constituting the, the rep duration lasting anywhere from like 0.5 to 2.5 seconds. Okay. <clears throat> there was no difference in, in muscle growth that could be detected in that, in that analysis. So hmm. that didn't matter. Hmm. Um, the, uh, there's been a couple thing, couple studies, um, looking at the super slow topic, the super slow um, strategy. Have you, you remember super slow? I, yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. And funny enough, those didn't show it to be an effective way for, for producing muscle growth. Those are like 10 second reps. So super duper, like ridiculously. slow. like someone's trying to be a, a mime or, you know, like, like do uh, their reps, like as if they're in the matrix or something, you know, it's <laughs> really, really slow. Like, 
it's kind of bizarre. I remember first time I saw that, uh, it was literally the late, I was training back in, in grad school and there was some guys, I was at the rec center and there's some guys who were, um, all of them were bigger than me Yeah, and they were doing super slow and there were two open face racks and I was doing bent over rows and so were they. And I was using, I don't know, two and a quarter, 275, something like that maybe at the time. can't remember. And they were using like tens, like 65 pounds <laughs> and like, but they're doing super slow <clears throat> and it was just sort of obvious. It's like, how is that going to make you grow? And yeah. while we do know now from the higher rep studies that you can go down to like 30% of one rep max and like with the blood flow occlusion studies, you can get oh, growth yeah. if you take those sets to failure. Um, anyway, the super slow studies didn't suggest that they don't really resonate. And I think that's, um, I think that's probably because some exercise, like a knee extension lends itself well for your average untrained person to go to failure, mm. but like a bent over row, it's a tough for instance, one. Yeah. that's a tough one to do. Like it's really, really slow like that, especially because there's a different psych psychology to going really slow. Huh. Um, I think then just grinding out reps, mm -hmm. um, to some degree because, it's just a whole different, it's a whole different mind fuck, pardon my French, to try to do the reps that slow because hmm. you want to speed it up and bang them out and get to the failure point where you create, you know, fatigue due to inability to supply energy. But anyway, so the research kind of says that Okay. on speed. So here's the thing. So you've, um, when you're lifting, you are using, this is, goes back to the force velocity curve, which kind of covers some basic physiology here you can produce um, less and less force the faster a shortening contraction is. So I always think of this as the merry-go-round effect. Like if you were a kid and you had a merry-go-round and you were the one who was like had to push the merry-go-round mm -hmm. and everyone gets on there, load up, and like the merry-go-round's at a standstill and you start to push on. You can push like crazy, like it produce a lot of force mm -hmm. to get when you first get it moving and you get it moving and the faster it goes, eventually – it's going as fast as you can run. And yeah. like, even if you're standing there going like this, like you're not adding not any doing speed anything. to it. Yeah. Yeah. So you can't produce any force when that velocity is so fast. Yeah. So the faster a concentric movement, the less force you can produce. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Right. Right. So, um, and the, and then you have an isometric contraction, which is sort of in the in-between point. And then when you mm -hmm. do lowering contraction, when the muscle produces force, but it's lengthening, the inherent amount of force that you produce in the muscle that's activated is greater. Hmm. So the force relative to the amount of muscle relative to the cross sectional area of the muscle is greater. So that's probably one of the reasons why you get more damage when you do eccentric lo lowering contractions. Okay. And that's one of the reasons why you see generally speaking that the eccentrics are a little more important than the concentrics for producing growth. Yeah. Um, so that, that, that I think I've talked about before, and that's one of the things yes. I go into in that, that, that talk. So, so what's going on, and you made a very important distinction there, when um, you are producing a concentric contraction, like you're lifting with some speed um, <clears throat> and forcefulness as opposed to going really, really slow. Uh, and I'm trying to like put together all sorts of thoughts. There's a whole bunch of things that are involved here, but... But imagine one scenario where you literally try to completely explode mm -hmm. from a standstill. 
um, once you get that, and this will depend on the movement, um, and it will depend on whether it's a free weight um, or a machine to some degree, um, or whether you've got bands or chains as well. So imagine a free weight and you're doing like a bench press. Okay. And you go from, uh, it's just, you've literally done a pause and you drive up as fast as you can, literally okay. explode in a, sort of a, wouldn't be truly a ballistic fashion, but it's almost like a ballistic contraction. You get a lot of force produced at the beginning and eventually at some point in time, that bar starts moving so quickly mm -hmm. that that force velocity relationship comes into play. Yeah. I think we've and, all felt that, you know? Yeah. And you're not, you're not pushing the second half somewhere in there of the range of motion. The bar is just flying up from the force that you produced initially. So you've got only that impulse of force and the rest of the time you're keeping the bar moving, but you're not producing much force during that concentric. Yeah. Um, so that's at one end of the spectrum. At the other end of the spectrum, imagine you do like a super slow thing mm -hmm. and um, you compare, you can even compare like if you have a 10 second rep versus a two second rep, how much weight could you lift? If it were just like a one, one concentric rep max, hmm. well, you might be able to do if like a two second um, or maybe even a three or four second. Like if it's a really, really heavy, like basically you can't do any more than that. It might, if you're, it's a real grinder, it might be like a three second rep. Okay. So let's say, let's say it's 200 pounds. That's your concentric from a standstill bench press. Like it's one rep max essentially. Yeah. Um, so it's, uh, and that's the most you could get. Now, let's say that like, you constrain yourself doing that really, really slow. We'll just go to like the far end of the spectrum where it's 10 seconds. Mm -hmm. um, you couldn't take that same weight. And, and, and if you started doing a 10-second rep, yeah. you get about three or four seconds into it, and that'd be it. Right. So instead of 200 pounds, you might have to go to 160. Or, yeah, whatever, say. less for sure. Less. Right. So, yeah, if you go slower and slower to some degree, you're going to limit the amount of, amount of force that you're going to produce. Okay. Yeah. Um, and still be able to complete those repetitions. So for any like set of 10 um, with really, really slow reps, just like in the super slow regime, you're going to have less force that you're producing because you're doing the reps so slow. Mm, so yeah. the, the concern with really slow reps is that the force you're producing is so low because you're doing this reps so slowly. The concern with really fast reps is that you've, you're, you're blasting through the rep and you're not getting any force at the end of the range of motion, which you, isn't helpful. You're, you're speaking my language here. This is okay, exactly, good, good, good. this to. is exactly okay. what I've been wanting to get at so badly. <laughs> okay. And I've been, right. yeah, I've been wanting to hear what you have to say about this. So, and, and I'm not even looking at my presentation, but this stuff is, you know, it's, this is constantly things are flowing through my head. So, yeah. so one, so one issue now, if we go back and compare that sort of like fast starting rep, this is how a loading curve can be to your advantage. Like what you have in like a Cybex cam, and the Nautilus cam, yes. yeah, yeah, which is which is totally generic. Like they don't, they, those aren't really generally um, created, especially well to match the strength curve. Yeah, but ideally, you'd have a rep that has. Uh, thanks, Travis. You'd have a rep. This is why I love this talk. It's such a great talk. Um, I just enjoy. It's great because I enjoy giving it. I guess, but I think it's good information. Is that you would then be able to push with a large amount of effort throughout the full range of motion 
and have the, the resistance accommodate your strength levels, it's accommodating resistance, have the loading curve match the strength curve. So let's say on a bench press or um, uh, let's say uh, bench press is not maybe the best example. Let's say, um, let's say it's like uh, people do this. Let's say it's a, a, a leg press. And this is where you see people using bands and chains. Okay. You're not as strong at the bottom of part of the leg press as you are at the top. So instead of using a cam, I was going to use a cam as an example, which we'll just use bands. People will band those leg presses yeah. so that the band comes into play um, as you go through the concentric range of motion, and it makes it harder at the end. So you're matching the loading with the strength curve. So you can give, if it were a one rep max, let's say, which you probably would never do on a leg press. Let's say you started, you had the pin set up, you're at the very bottom, and you you would the load that you could lift for that one rep max would more than likely be a function of what you could get moving because your okay. sticking spots would be at the very bottom this is something that powerlifters know oh so well they try to train for those lifting spots because free weights are a different story so what you can do with a leg press which is essentially free weight just in the in the um, plane of motion of the leg press is um set up those bands so that you're able to apply you don't have that sticking spot at the bottom Instead, you have maximum effort at the beginning, and then as you would as it would become easier because of the biomechanics of your lower body, the band starts to create more and more resistance so that you could have max effort all the way through. Yeah. Well, the full rep would be a grinder as opposed to, and you just fly through to the second end. Right. So that gives you that gives you load throughout the range of motion, as opposed to a sticking spot at the bottom where you're destined to fail, so to speak. That's going to be your, the part where you end. You never see li anyone literally like on most leg movements, unless they've been banded or what have you, where um, they fail at the top, right? Like you, if you're doing like a hack squat or any kind of standing squat machine for the most part or leg press, like once you get it up past the midpoint, you're going to get it unless you're really, really pushing but most of the time people will fill at that bottom part yeah, because that's the hardest part of the range of motion. So back to rep tempo. Now you want to have um, some activation that's sort of in between that super slow and that ballistic as fast as you can, um, such as you've got good muscle activation through the full range of motion. So you're controlling the weight, but you're sort of exploding into it with some forcefulness. So, when you're moving faster, you're getting, you're going to have, you're going to have to have more muscle engaged in order to do that. Yeah. So driving with some forcefulness engages more muscle, which is what you want. The advantage there is then when you've found that middle ground speed wise and you're engaging more muscle because you're moving at a relatively fast pace, but not overly fast so that you don't have to do anything at the second end of the range of motion. You've also got a heavier weight you're using. And that means you've got a heavier weight that you're lowering. Yeah. And you can lower a lot more than you yes. can lift. Yeah, yeah. So there's an advantage in having the heaviest load possible during the lowering. And this is what like Life Fitness had a machine like this. I've had a I had a conversation with a guy I bumped into, I wish I could remember his name right now. Um down in South Florida here talking about machines like this that will overload on the eccentric. Hmm. Such that you've got there. There are some lines of machines that would literally add more load on the eccentric. He'd done some research, I think, at University of Florida was involved with some, um, demonstrating significant greater hypertrophy when you when you match 
um, not only the loading curve on the concentric, but the fact that you've got greater strength on the eccentric than you do on the concentric. So if you can lift 200 pounds on a bench press, mm-hmm. you can lower 220 yeah. or 240 maybe. So if you really want to maximize effort throughout the full range of motion on that concentric, um, you might, you might, oh, let's, let's go back to the leg press. Because mm-hmm. that's a better example, I think. So now you ban the leg press. So you've taken that sticking spot out, and there's there's equal amount of effort throughout the full range of motion okay. because the band is making it harder near the top, and that's going to probably focus more on quads too. And that's sort of another side topic. So that's that's another reason to do that. But now you've got loading curve matching strength curve. So it's it's all out. The effort is the same throughout each concentric aspect of the rep. But now if you want to match the concentric effort with the eccentric effort, you're going to have to have more weight on the eccentric. Hmm. Ideally, when you can't really do that, unless you have a partner who has you do force negatives Mm -hmm. or you have a machine that does that. But the best that you can come to, generally speaking, is picking a load where you're moving pretty fast, not overly fast, So and controlling that eccentric on the way down. So you want to have as heavy an eccentric load as you can, relatively speaking, so you're in that good rep range for getting growth. You're not just doing singles, basically. And you want to be able to load and control the load on the way down because if you just drop the weight, so this is the other side of the rep tempo, if you just drop the weight, then you have a free fall effect. Hmm. You're doing nothing but catching it at the bottom. Yeah, and I think that's the biggest mistake that I, a lot of us have made, you know, because we focus on getting the rep. I got you know one. Now I'm going to go for two, right. and we're not thinking about that that negative portion. I think that that's probably we could probably all step back and focus more on the negative and not change our splits, not change our our number of reps, and get more out of the exercise just by getting more out of the negative. Like we would get more right. out of training if we focused on just getting more out of the negative. Another is another meta-analysis comparing, you know, concentric and eccentric only training and, and you find greater growth eccentric only generally. That's one of the pieces of evidence we talked about in the, we would have been episode 100, maybe the one I did on training, I think. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I talked about, the, I talked about this with, with the Dudley study. Yeah. Hather et al, you know, that, um, that they did for NASA, comparing doubling the concentrics only compared with lowering and lifting concentric eccentric. Um, so you want to have some control, and here's where there's a difference between bands and chains. So imagine now you've got a, two different setups you can compare on the leg press. You've got one where you want you want to add load at the end because you're stronger near the end of the range of motion. So you're matching your loading curve with your strength curve. Now you can do that with chains. So as the weight goes up, more and more of the chain is lifted off the ground, so the load goes up. Mm-hmm. And you could, you, know, you could try to match the amount of chains that you have relative to the load on the, on the machine so that you're matching that really, really well. Or you can also do the same thing with bands. So that as more of the bands get stretched out, the more load they would have. Bands, you know, an ideal setup for some bands, it depends on the length of the band and the thickness of the band. So the thickness was how much force and the length will dictate the length tension relationship of the band itself. Hmm. So imagine like a really thick short band, 
you know, where you, you triple the length of that band or double the length of that band over the full range of motion, that band's going to go from zero tension when it's slack mm -hmm. to a lot of tension when it's doubled or tripled in length. For sure. Versus a, imagine a, a band that's set up where, you know, it's long, it's a longer band that, you know, that you only increase the length of by 50%. Yeah. You're not getting as much of a differential from um, the bottom to the top of your range of motion. Yeah. So length of band and thickness of band matters. So that's a kind of an aside, but imagine now you're doing your, you're looking at your eccentric and you're lowering. And if you lower quickly with chains, you can actually have that free fall effect with those chains in the oh, same yeah. way that you would with the weight. Yeah, you would. So you can drop down as much as you like. And that literally, if you go fast enough, you're literally letting that free fall. Yeah. In, in large part. So there's hardly any tension at the beginning of that range of motion, which are, uh, unfortunately is where you're the strongest too. Mm, yeah. So you're really missing out because you have potential for more force at the beginning of the range of motion. And that's where you start dropping it down. Obviously you have to slow down near the bottom so you don't get squashed and that's where you're weakest. So you're really missing out on the potential for eccentric overload when you're using chains in that regard. But if you use bands, and you try to drop down like that, the bands don't have a free fall effect. Hmm. There's continuous tension because of the elasticity in the band. So there'll be something related to the, you know, the physics of the elasticity, the, the material um, nature of the elasticity of the band. Some will, you know, have a, will keep up with the, the descent of the weight more differently than others. But in large part, that band's got tension all the time. So you can't, you can't drop the weight fast enough says so that the band unloads mm -hmm. in the way that you're unloading if you're just dropping the weight and you don't have any load on the on the chains because they're just free falling. So this is one of the reasons why people will find, especially if they've been dropping their their weights, relatively speaking, they've been doing really fast eccentrics, mm -hmm. is if they use bands, they get a lot more sore mm -hmm. because they're getting more eccentric loading because the bands are forcing they're forcing the load to happen. Plus there's some proprioception going on there too. It's like you, if, if you drop, if you drop the weight and you just let it come down really quickly, <clears throat> that's, that makes sense to your brain. You move really rapidly and you can feel the weights kind of dropping that way. Whereas it's imagine if you start to go fast like that and the weight doesn't change in force. Yeah. Cause the bands are on there. It's imagine like someone's pushing on the, on the leg press You'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. you're going to slow down and want to control that. Yeah, you would. So. You would. Because it's just natural. Your stretch reflexes are going to kick in. Yeah. And also, also cognitively, you're going to experience that. So bands have that advantage in that they, they, they maintain the eccentric force that's necessary to produce, even with faster um, rates of descent, even with faster speeds of eccentric contraction. Okay. So... The ideal there is that you is you have control over the eccentric. Yeah, yeah. Um, and here's the thing. So there's now we're gonna gain more. Here's another level of understanding. You're with me now so far. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. So here's what's here's what's really cool. So the merry-go-round effect: the faster you contract, the less force you produce. Right. On concentrics, that doesn't apply to eccentrics in large part. So when you go to you know from an isometric a hold 
to some kind of an uh, eccentric, yeah. like there's some increase in your strength, maybe 20% in with voluntary contraction. The muscle can produce more than that, but you've got some inhibition. But if you go faster and faster and faster, you don't produce more force. Hmm. The muscle doesn't produce more force the faster the rate of eccentric contraction. It levels off. Okay. Huh. So you can go really, really slow on your eccentrics and produce just as much force as if you were going really, really fast hmm. um, as far as the muscle goes. But if, you're, if, you're, if, you, if the, the load that you're, that you're attempting to move around in space is under the confines of gravity so that you just drop it like that, mm -hmm. then you don't have any load to push against. So the muscle doesn't produce any force. Mm. So you're not, there's no advantage in terms of speed in terms of what the muscle can do during the lengthening eccentric contraction, the lowering of the load. Um, so faster is not better than slower in terms of loading in the terms of the muscle. But if you go too fast and you're not using bands mm -hmm. and bands, I mean, you could train with bands as all the weights, just load up the bar with bands and do no, no weight and you get past this. Um, and of course, cams can do that on some machines. Um, you've got that free fall phenomenon that happens when you go too fast. So the free fall phenomenon, the fact that we're you know lifting free weights in, in large part on most plate-loaded machines and selectorized machines and machines that don't have cams or bands on them, makes it such that you don't want to go fast because you're you don't you're not there's no load the faster you descend because things are free falling. So going slow on your eccentric is behooves you in terms of taking advantage of the fact that you produce more force for a given amount of muscle that's used when you're doing lengthening eccentric contractions. Okay. So the quality of the stimulus in terms of tension relative to the muscle that you use is better with eccentrics than concentrics. And going slow is the way that you do that. Hmm. Because if you go too fast, you just have a free fall. You've got nothing to push against. Yeah. So you got to have go slow enough that you've got something to push against. So you might be thinking, okay, well, if I go really, really slow, isn't that going to fatigue me? I mean, are, and I use up all my energy doing these eccentrics. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Go back to Muscle Minds 100 and check out one of the ideas that I put forth there. This is why this is application of that information. I, I put up a, um, a study where they compared eccentrics. They did maximal eccentric efforts, mm -hmm. like 30 of them, mm -hmm. and hardly any fatigue at all. Hmm. The energy cost of, it depends on which estimate you use it. I can't remember which study I had in there, but the energy cost to produce a given amount of force when the muscle's lengthening, doing eccentric, versus shortening, concentric at the same speed, depends on the speed, <clears throat> it's like 25%. It's nothing. So the energy cost of lowering under control is zilch. You're not going to fatigue yourself in any way that's going to cut into your reps huh. or cut your set short by doing controlled contractions okay. on the ex cold eccentric contractions. So you want to have control so you have the loading so you can take advantage of the fact that you produce more force and get more stimulus yeah. when you lower under load and doing eccentric contractions. Okay. You don't have fatigue, so which is good. I'm still not sure I completely feel satisfied with the concentric portion of the rep now. Okay. All so right. I, I'm just going to go back and, and almost kind of restate myself. I feel like if I move very slow 
through a rep. I'm just I'm I'm here visually thinking about like a bench press movement, but it could be anything. It could be a row. If right. I if I move very slow through the rep, I feel like I can ease the weight up. Mm-hmm. If I slam it up, then then yeah, the centrifugal force takes over. You know, there's like a momentum. There's a momentum that takes over, and it becomes right. easier toward the top. There's a middle ground in there where if I push hard with force, but don't let it get away from me, that my mm-hmm. muscle actually feels more sore. Like, I'm not even going to say sore. It feels more beat up. Like, it feels like I dug into the fibers more. It feels mm-hmm. like I activated the muscle harder than if I ease it up slowly. Yes. Is, is there something to that? Yes, absolutely. So, like what we said before, yeah. you go too fast, you blast up from the beginning, and then it's just momentum carrying right. the weight up the rest of the way. Yeah, I caught so your that activation part. is going to go down. You go too slow the weight's going to have to be low. I see. You can't push as much weight. Yeah. You're just, I mean, unless you're, I mean, you're, if you're doing like five or 10 second reps, the weights are going to, are going to be lower. So you're not going to, you're not going to have as much tension. Okay. So here's the other thing too. This is all in this talk. Like I piece all this together. It's so so very cool. So the studies have been done. Um, A lot of it's actually looking at pec versus triceps activation during a bench press. Okay. So, You can tell individuals, um, use your triceps on this bench press or use your pec. Yeah. And you can literally give them a a verbal cue to do so. And that can be done with lighter loads up to a point. And somewhere around 80% of a one rep max or heavier is where that ability to to maintain that mind-muscle connection is lost. And... Some of that simply comes down to the fact of the matter is that when you're doing a one rep max, if it's a one rep max, you're using all the muscle that's available. You're using both triceps and anterior delts yeah. and your pec, yeah. everything. So if you go to 95% of that and you say, just use your pecs, and they turn off those other muscles like 50% or they're not going to get the lift. It's not yeah. going to happen. Yeah. So yeah. in order to complete the rep, you've, you've got to use almost all the muscle that's there and you go to 90% it's like, yeah, maybe you could turn off the triceps as a smidge, but it won't be statistically significant. It okay. won't be noticeable. But if you go down to 70%, now you've, now you can, you can significantly shift the force producing muscles to the one you want to make the load bearing muscle for the exercise. The one I you want to have that mind, you want to make it your pecs instead of your triceps. I see. And you can get away with doing rep. And of course your load should go down. Yeah. You know, guys have been just like moving the weight around just by any means possible who decide now they want to have a better connection with their pec and they've been using 315. They can't expect to all of a sudden like have a great connection and still use the same weight for the same reps. Yeah. If you're going to, if you're going to like t- tell the other muscles to be less active and you, and you I mean, you, you've, if you're, if you're still pushing as hard as you can, there's some degree where there's some sense you could turn on the pecs more so and they could take up the slack, mm-hmm. but and the other, the other way of looking is you're going to have to turn off those other muscles because if you're, you're doing this in the first place because you're not getting good activation in the target muscle, the pecs, let's mm. say, for a bench press, if you're using it for that reason. So you're going to have to turn off, off those other muscles to shift the load to the pecs. And that's really all that matters. You want to pr- do the exercise in a way that forces the target muscle to be the load-bearing muscle and the one that is the cause of fatigue 
and failure as when you bring the set to its end. So mm. you want the weak link to be the target muscle. Sure. So if you can like, let's say you're someone who just like has great mind muscle connection, but you also know how to really push on the bench press. You're yeah. like, let's say a power lifter who also has a great mind muscle connection. Well, a lot of those power lifters, the form's going to totally change. So sort of take the biomechanics out of the picture. But imagine they just push with everything and like they can get, let's say, just say 315. Right. And now, now they want to make, make sure that to the extent possible without like having a joint dislocation or something really wonky go on, they're making, making the pec almost as much as possible. The only muscle that's active, even though it's a compound lift, yeah. there's minimal activation, of the triceps, minimal activation of the, of the anterior delt, just enough to keep the form. Now they're going to have to go down to maybe 225. Right. Yeah. To make it just the pec. Um, and the pec will be more loaded. And at least then, even, even if you compared pec activation in the 315 versus the 225, um, you've got when you, if it's the same at the beginning, at least, and, and to some degree, when you get to the end of that 315 set mm-hmm. where the person isn't, isn't using the pec as well as they want to, the, the limiting factor are those other muscles, which yeah. is the reason why you're trying to have a better mind muscle connection. So the failure isn't due to the pec. The pec's not getting trained very effectively. It's the mm. other muscles that are getting loaded. So you shift and start doing that, that exercise with the mindset, the cue. You can do touch training for this to some degree, probably. Yeah. Let's make the pec let's make the pec the target muscle, the weak link. And now your set comes to an end. And the triceps and the anterior delt are not not the reasons for fatigue. They're not the reason why the set ended. It's because the pec didn't have anything left to give. Right. And in that case, your pec went from 70% activation to 100% activation, all you could possibly give. And the set ended with a failure in the pec to produce more enough force to get another rep. That As opposed sense. to when you're going heavy, heavier, the pec, it wasn't the pec that was the reason for failure. It was the other muscles. So your pec only went from 70 to 85% of maximal activation. Okay. The other muscles failed. Um, so that's a reason why choosing the right tempo not going like too fast, which just if you're pushing as fast as you can on every single rep, well, well, guess what? Aside from that whole momentum issue, if you're if it's as fast as you can, then you're using as much muscle as you can, hmm. and you don't have you can't have a mind muscle connection in that way because you're acting activating everything at 100. percent Yeah. If you want to get one muscle to be favored, you have to, to some degree turn the others off. Right. That means less weight. Yeah. Um, and not as going, not as fast. So finding that, that tempo. So what, what I do, like for instance, for chest training in large part, because I, I recognize my tendency to activate the anterior delts, um, and triceps Mm -hmm. is I, those reps are slower for me. Hmm. Chest training is always a slower, it's always slower for me than other, than most every other thing, because I don't have the good mind muscle connection there. And I'm just probably biomechanically set up to use those other muscles. And I've got, you know, I'm, I can overhead press almost as much as I can incline press or as much as I can flat press. Yeah. I used to so, be that way. I've, and I've seen yeah. a lot of people that way too. Mm-hmm. I'm a delt presser just by nature. So I have to go slow with lower weight to make sure it's a pec exercise okay. for the reasons I just described. So well, this didn't, does that clarify the concept trick? It does not, but we did get through not for me at least, but I feel like we got through a lot of really cool stuff here and I still learned a lot. And and for that reason, I think that this was a total success. 
Okay. All right. We should we should Even wrap it I up here. Confuse you more, but okay, no, 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 cool. no, no, no. I, I got a lot out of it, but it doesn't tell me the the there's a piece of there's a piece of truth in bodybuilding that I still can't explain after this. That's all. That's all I'll say. I'll leave it at that. I I have one I have one more thought that might help because okay. this actually will help finish this off. And John Meadows talks about this a good bit too because he's very big on exploding into the rep but controlling it at the same time Yeah, is when you initiate the rep with in this, in this manner, um, especially if you've got a good mind muscle connection. So you're initiating with the muscle you're trying to, to target and you initial initiate forcefully that requires um, a large amount of activation in those fibers just to get the weight going. That's it. And then if you, and if you don't, but if you control it, you're maintaining that high activation level with the heavier load at a controlled speed. And you're not just blasting through the rep and letting the momentum take over. So that's, that's it yes. right there. You're setting yourself up for success from a standpoint of activation of a large number of motor units in the muscle you're trying to target when you yeah. start with that, with that sort of mindset of blast into the weight, but control it. Along and I the can way. feel it. I can feel it. Yeah. The, the difference in, in how that muscle fatigues too. Cool. All right. Good. Thank you, Scott. You got it. We did it. Yeah. <laughs> I saved it, rescued it at the last minute, man. It was, it wouldn't have been a failure anyway, because there was so much good yeah. stuff in there. And, yeah, uh, I, know. I, I love that. I can, I can have a question like this and that I have a friend that has an answer. <laughs> you have a friend in a lot of, who can pilot higher and deeper. He's got a <laughs> PhD. He's got a little degree in bullshit. Guys, for um, a bunch more answers, go to uh, byobbcoach.com. Check out Scott's book, Be Your Own Bodybuilding Coach, or get the hardcover from Amazon. And uh, of course, check out fortitudetraining.net. Check out Scott's ebook. You can also check out our great sponsor, truenutrition.com. Yeah. And I have a seminar coming up. It's oh. at Asgard Gym. You can see this on my Instagram. Yeah. Um, it's in my uh, profile URL as well. So that's coming up. I think it's on the 19th of June. So okay. a couple of weeks from now. So if anyone in the Southern Florida area, if someone wants to take a trip, Florida is a good place to be COVID wise. Yeah. We're not even wearing, we're not masks. I mean, if this is, of course, totally your, your, uh, your call, but it's pretty loose. You know, it's kind of nice for people to go to Florida where there's, it's not as strict here as far as those things go. And so we're doing a seminar. This gym is amazing, absolutely incredible. Yeah. And um, I'm doing a seminar on uh, the, I think the title of it is Unraveling the Puzzle of Sets, Reps, and Volume or something like that. Trying to figure out like, you know, is volume the driver of muscle growth? You know, is what, you know what's, what, what is it that makes muscle grow and how do we program this for ourselves yeah. as an individual given the landscape of all this information ranging ranging from hit mike mentzer on your shirt there yes to you know do just tremendous amounts of volume so that and then we've got a couple in the gym things i'm going to do um a mind muscle mastery is a topic that i do as a lecture but i've also got it in the gym component of that so i help people with some of the things i kind of talked about here a little bit and then uh the other in the gym thing is going through some of the fortitude training nice um, set types pump sets and muscle rounds for people. It's not a full fortitude training uh, camp, yeah. but it's just to explain how those are done so people can incorporate those into their own programs and sort of take on that principle, the principles that are woven in with those set types. Dude, what, what a fun experience this would be. This would be so cool. Uh, if yeah, that, that link, I'll get that from you. Why don't I put that in the description? So for 
all of you guys at YouTube, you can just click on that. I think that's a yeah. great idea, especially like now, man. I feel like we all need a trip. We all need a vacation. Yeah. We all need to hang out it's, with Scott uh, for a day. Someone asked me like about um, the gym's kind of a little bit outside. It's uh, south of here. It's not about an hour south of Tampa. Okay. And it's kind of out, a little bit out in the country, but there's places to stay and that sort of thing. It's not like it's you know, in the middle of you know, nowhere. I like but, that. But uh, yeah. It's, Make an I mean, adventure. It's, you get a free day pass and you get a free copy of the Fortitude Training ebook Ooh, as well. I like that. 75 bucks. So, I like that. Make, make an adventure out of it. It'll be fun. Yeah. 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 Shoot some pictures. Down, we'll put it on your yeah. right, Instagram. I like all that. <laughs> good. Yeah. Do, do selfies. You can do selfies the whole time. As many selfies as you want. It's low, low limit on selfies during the I seminar. Like, I like that idea. Yeah, and uh, as I mentioned, check out our great sponsor if you guys want to support our programming. Plus, you'll get some really good, uh, high-quality, third-party tested supplements. That's truenutrition.com. Our code is THINK. Scott, thank you as always. You're welcome, my man. My pleasure. See you guys.